Ugh, another pointless video call where nothing gets done. I think you're on mute, David. Uh, oh, sorry. What did I miss? IT just approved Miro for the whole company. Miro? That's the... Online whiteboard. For team collaboration. We can make these long video meetings so much shorter with Miro boards. We can share ideas, feedback, and updates on them whenever. Actually see what we're talking about. It's all online. Miro will make our flexible work setup so much easier. With one virtual space for our brainstorms, projects, presentations. Oh, that sounds kind of amazing. So I don't need to wake up for 6 a.m. calls with the London office anymore. Now you're getting it. Don't let time zones get in the way of your team working well together. See why 99% of the Fortune 100 trust Miro to get good work done from anywhere. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. He seems like he has an uncanny ability to put the bat on the ball and put the ball in play. If it is harder for uh, Polar to swing the bat, he might take a few more pitches, <laughs> and this might this might be a blessing in disguise. Politely tell them, hey, this isn't my uh, first party with balloons there. Friend. <laughs> They're going to lose a bit. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 24, where we start out as special advisor and then retire to play baseball. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Nick Dyka. Nick, how you doing? Greg, I'm, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, How you doing? I, I'm doing fantastic. Josh was unable to make it as he is uh, stopping the seal hunt, from what I've heard. It's just a rumor. Uh, <laughs> but on to baseball, the Jays are uh, three and three since we last talked. Um, we've got uh, Pilar going on the DL. We have not too much offense. We have Scott Feldman. There uh, was a development. We talked a lot about Aaron Sanchez last time, and now we can go into what happened to the rotation due to all that drama. Uh, then we're going to talk. Actually, we're going to expand our horizons a little bit about uh, Tex, A-Rod, and, and Prince Fielder uh, because all those guys might not be in baseball come this time next week. And I think that's, that's probably will get us through the show. No interview this week. You just get stuck with Nick and I. Can, can you handle Nick? Oh, I've got at least two and a half hours worth of content to uh, to deliver. So it's going to be it's going to be a struggle to try to cram it into forty minutes. But we'll we'll try. Put your seatbelts on, folks. Here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> three and three. I guess three and three is not a bad week if you're near the top of the division, which which the Jays are. They they started the night tied for. Uh, the top of the division. We're recording this, of course, Tuesday night, a little early. Um, but I, I don't know if that's going to be good enough going forward. What What do you see as as like what do the Jays need to do or need to change to get out of that? Because I think it was a three and three week the last time we did a podcast too. There's a lot of that going around. It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, 
Obviously, the biggest issue in this last week and a half has been the offense. And, you know, much like at the beginning of the year, it's it's surprising whenever the Jays kind of woes can be can be laid on on their hitters. It it doesn't feel like that should be a problem. Um, Obviously, I think we're seeing, you know, Saunders struggle and maybe regress a little bit. you know, his first half was, I, I would assume, his best, his best first, or his best, um, like his his best, best half, half of baseball ever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. And and I, you know, the when I checked in in June, his BABIP was I think over 350. Um, so I think you know between Saunders, Melvin has not been good since the trade, um, and you know now with. Jose back, but not totally hitting like the Batista we we've come to know. Uh, yeah, it's it's odd to think of the offense as kind of the the thing that needs to be improved, but uh, I think that that seems like what's been the major problem this last week. And luckily for you know the Blue Jays and Blue Jays fans, their offense is something that should correct itself just by virtue of the fact that the the Jays hitters are way better than, than how they've been hitting the last 10 days or so. So if you look at it, starting with the loss last Monday against the Astros, the Jays scored one run, two runs, three runs, four runs, four runs, two, one, then seven. And everyone yesterday went, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Everybody's okay. And then tonight they scored two and uh, – and unfortunately, due to Marco Estrada not not being Marco Estrada for whatever reason, um, they they got shellacked like nine to two. Um, go ahead. Yeah, Drew Smi- Drew Smiley seems to be a pitcher that I would think the Jays would be able to really tune up. Uh, you know, a lefty with homer problems. I thought tonight would definitely be another big offensive night. But um, yeah, I, I find the Jays. The Jays surprise you in the sense that the pitchers they're able to handle. You know, I've seen them come back against Herrera and Craig Kimbrell. And then every once in a while, a pitcher that just doesn't seem to be somebody who should be able to stymie the team is able to just kind of shut them down. I think last year versus left-handers versus this year versus left-handers is a shocking drop-off. Like you, you would rather see them face a right-hander this year, which is weird considering right. how much righty power is in that lineup. Is, yeah. I don't know if that's overcompensation, knowing they're going to see more right-handers. Or, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> no. I, I know the splits are supposed to work. It's essentially the same lineup, too. Um, you know, minus Saunders and Travis. Um, so, you wouldn't... Yeah, you wouldn't think they'd be that much... Uh, that much different of a, a team this year in terms of their ability to handle lefties but well here we are i guess and, and uh, i wanted to go to travis because on monday night he had his first four hit game of his career and is it i is it i don't know what you call it uh presumptive of me to be surprised that that was the first four hit game of his career even though he's in his sophomore season he's he seems like he has an uncanny ability to put the bat on the ball and put the ball in play, which is really lacking in today's game, generally speaking, unless you're Jose Altuve. <laughs> yeah, well, 
Okay, I'm going to call this now. You heard it here first. If this keeps up for another week, everybody's going to be talking about giving Travis Jose Batista's money come the off season. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I think I think if if this if he keeps stays on fire for just a little bit longer, I think we're going to start we're going to start to hear talk of of Travis as the new kind of uh, white knight for the Jays, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know it's still it's still so early in his career, and he's got what I think 400, not even 400 at bats in the major leagues as of as of today, and if not slightly over. And so I do think we're we still need to take a wait and see approach. And I know a lot of people were advocating for that uh, coming into the season, and given that he missed so much of the first half, I think we still need to kind of take that position. And that's not to say I think he's going to be terrible or the Jays haven't struck gold in him. But, you know, especially with young players coming up, it seems that so much of the initial, you know, two or first two or three years of, of a player's career is about, you know, adjusting to the league, then the league makes adjustments to them, then they need to in turn make adjustments back. And so, you know, seeing how Travis kind of handles that, I think will be important before we before we really do kind of uh, run with him as as being the and making it safe to assume that he's the player we we see now. That said, you're completely right. He does seem to hit make a lot of contact and uh, you know hit the ball. He hits the ball the other way so well um, that I think to have him lengthen the lineup would is going to be like a really great thing, especially given he's another young player that's cost controlled and uh, not going to make the Blue Jays older <laughs> because they are a very old <laughs> team too. Yeah, um, I, I think knowing the Blue Jays history, I don't think there's any danger of them locking up a player who has four years control left because uh, the last guy they did anything close to that with was Ricky Romero and that worked out famously. Uh, but they, they've, they've been loath to do that sort of thing, period. Um, so I, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think he gets Jose Bautista's money anytime soon. Maybe they just put that in a pocket somewhere and, and try and work things out. But uh, I, w- I would love for him to be an everyday fixture at second base. I totally would. Uh, speaking of young players, Kevin Pilar this week did something he's never done before. And it wasn't a good thing. <laughs> he went to the disabled list. <laughs> uh, now, you have seen and I have seen any number of diving into turf slamming into the wall leaping grabs all that kind of stuff and that's not where he hurt himself he hurt himself sliding into second base so he's out for 15 days now that's a awfully good time for the blue jays to have picked up a guy who could legitimately back up in center field that was like a psychic moment someone had um because i would much rather as much as melvin upton is not hitting right now um, Melvin Upton can play center field, which Ezekiel Carrera just sort of shows up in center field. So I, I, I think that's worked out well as a depth move. Absolutely. Like I, like you said, Ezekiel Carrera is more stationed in center field than, than plays center field. And and Upton is definitely a, you know, a big league center fielder, uh, and he has been for a long time. So I think – I think that it's one of those moves that, you know, when it happens, and I know everybody's talked about this, but it's not the most exciting thing to get a guy like Upton at the trade deadline. But it doesn't take a lot 
to to see why guys like Upton are important because we would be, we would be looking at Carrera in center field or Siciliani um, or any any no other number of suboptimal options out there and I think it does show to the kind of like the methodical nature of of the Jays front office staff to be able to pick up a guy like Upton who is definitely uh, a serviceable player and and one that I think is going to help the Jays over the next 15 days in ways that any of the Jays' other options wouldn't have helped them. Now, they were talking last night on the broadcast, and I, I didn't I didn't quite hear it all, but apparently they're not even sure Pilar is going to be healed up after 15 days. They're trying to come up with some kind of wrap or brace or something so that he can play even if he isn't 100%. I always hate to hear that. Uh because I, I think usually the player does worse than he would if he just let himself heal up and, and let someone else bat in his stead. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, look at look at how Russ Martin was hitting when he had the neck injury in, in April not and May. Hitting. Not hitting, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of examples of that. And, I mean, I you do hear about guys, oh, he had a sports hernia and he played for three months and he was great. But generally speaking – there's a lot of there's inability to make hard contact there's inability to get to inside or outside pitches and other teams see that quickly and exploit it and you can't just put the guy back on the disabled list like you got to be sure that you can work around it to, to to your advantage and i i don't think there's any way really to be sure when it's a hand injury i mean if it's if it's a you know a leg or if it's a, a oblique or something maybe maybe it only bothers you one way or another but it you got to grip the bat right yeah, oh, exactly. And I mean, we've seen I know he didn't break his handmate bone, but we've seen hand injuries zap a lot of people's, you know, zap a lot of people's power and um although one thing we could consider is if it is harder for uh Polar to swing the bat, he might take a <laughs> few more pitches and this might this might be a blessing in disguise and just the birth of a a new Kevin Polar, uh patient hitter at the plate. Yeah, reluctant uh, hitter. Very reluctant hitter. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that would be a whole new, whole new talent for him. The t the taking of pitches. I always oh, know a pitcher's struggling when he's walked Pilar on four. I know there's problems yeah. there. Like you the shouldn't most, have done that. <laughs> the most the most surprising at bat I ever watched last season was uh, in Game Six of the LCS when Pilar drew that walk against Wade Davis. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, um, you're like yeah. bizarro world. Yeah, I, I, I remember sitting there thinking, where was this guy all year? Uh, but no, hopefully, you know, regardless of it's 15 days or or a little bit longer, hopefully he does come back full strength. Because if, yeah, if he doesn't, then you do get into those messy situations where it would have been better for him just to just to sit out the extra time as opposed to come back and hurt the team. This is uh, going to give Josh Tolley a leg up in the uh, who will have the most walks by the end of the season race, though. Uh, That's true. At least for the, in the short run. Those two weeks, Tolley's going to get three starts. <laughs> yeah, maybe more. Anybody's the... game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know who's playing the game, but it's anybody's game, as it were. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about the six-man rotation, or do you want to talk about Scott Feldman? Um, let's start with... Uh, six man. Yeah. Okay, so that was the big, big drama last week. Was 
Aaron Sanchez is going. No, he's not. Yes, he is. To the bullpen. Could be, but he's not. But we haven't talked to him. But we want to. But we have to. But we can't. But we shouldn't. And he's not. Okay, for sure. Um, (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that that was like three days worth of of Aaron Sanchez. And we ended up with Aaron Sanchez in the starting rotation where I'm, I'm happy to have him. And we have a six man starting rotation. That was the, the elegant solution. And again, nothing has been set in stone. Right. Right. And I guess the, the one thing that comes to mind for me immediately with the, with the six man rotation is one of the criticisms seems to be that it throws pitchers off their routine and the extra rest is not necessarily always a good thing. Um, but the the thing that doesn't totally i don't totally understand about that is pitchers have to throw on different amounts of rest if there's off days anyway um so given the blue jays off days coming up i think uh most of the starters are going to be starting on six days rest uh so they would have had an extra day of rest in between starts either way and so i just don't understand why a six-man rotation is is detrimental in a way that not uh, managing a rotation to alleviate extra rest because of off days isn't. And it just seems to be like a selective application of of adding d- of resistance to the six-man rotation because players, again, they they have extra days all the time when, when there's off days or the rotation gets rearranged for one reason or another. So I, I, think, I think it's something that can work. Um, that said, the results haven't been so great so far i i don't know if that's really causation there (laughs) yeah um liriano he he got through six innings with two earned runs allowed and one one unearned so that wasn't too bad um i i think marco estrada i i think marco estrada needs maybe more rest i I don't think his back is a hundred percent no so i I think a part of that factoring in the six that people have mentioned the six man is to give Estrada that same extra breather uh, and maybe help him out, help him his recovery time to get him back up to the, he never threw more than 90 miles an hour, but to get him up to that, that, that velocity that he was at before he just didn't have the control after the game that that we are recording this. He went with four walks. That's, that's not Marco Estrada, not in five innings. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think it'll it'll shake out sooner or later. And I mean, if one guy turns out to be awful, well, now you've got someone immediately who can replace him and you roll back to, to five men and, and you try and use the off days as best you can. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see them run with it for as long as they can because given Estrada's back and Sanchez's workload concerns, uh, you know, I know you have to get there first, but the idea of starting the playoffs without either of them in the rotation does not seem ideal at all. So if there's any planning that they can do now to try to get Estrada's back as healthy as it can be and keep Sanchez's workload to a point that's manageable enough that he can continue to start come October, which I, you know, I understand that doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but any way to, to kind of keep those two with the give give those two the most starts they can get uh, in the most important games, I think would be ideal. Um, so, yeah, I'd say I'd say run with the six man and 
unless there's really something that, you know, if something goes horribly wrong. The other very infrequently mentioned man is Marcus Stroman. There's nothing in Marcus Stroman's history that says he's a 200-inning workhorse. I'm not trying to knock him, but I'm saying I don't think it's even fair to him to say, well, yeah, you can just show up and throw 220 innings if we go into the playoffs or 230. Yeah, no big deal. He He's right. never, you know, he's he's not done that either. So if everybody gets a breather and Liriano is, is you know, fifth starter good or fourth starter good, then fantastic. Um, obviously, Ari Dickey's going to take his turn every, every five days and he's going to be the same mysterious enigma that he's been for the last three years. And Jay Happ is is ready to take the workload. So, yeah, I don't think we, we really disagree here. I think the way the Blue Jays handled it is still just one of the dumber things I've ever seen. Yeah, I I don't I don't wholly understand it either. Uh, but you guys you guys went into that last week. But yeah, the, on the Stroman point though, it's not even that Stroman's kind of a junk baller because Stroman throws hard as well, and that. For all the unknowns with uh, with workload and injury risk for young pitchers, I think the one thing that is established is that veloc- higher velocity does increase your risk of injury as a pitcher. And it's not like Strowman's throwing seven or eight miles an hour slower than Sanchez a lot of the time. Uh, you know, Strowman's in the in the low to mid nineties a lot. So, yeah, the it's kind of confounding why they are so concerned with with Sanchez and they haven't made a peep about uh Stroman. yeah okay so we're gonna go to scott feldman now scott feldman was exchanged for okay i'm even confused i lost track of who he was exchanged for all i know is he's not been very good <laughs> no no uh, but... i pulled up his game log since joining the blue jays uh he was in houston he gave up a run on two hits did not record an out and lost the game uh which is an infinite ERA for those of you who are keeping track. Then he had a clean inning against Kansas City on the fifth. Then he gave up three runs in 1.1 innings, or one inning and a third uh, on the seventh. And then he came in on the ninth tonight and gave up four runs on six hits in two innings. Now, to be fair, he was kind of dribbled and flipped and dropped to death in in the inning that he, he that I did uh, see him pitch tonight but at the same time he didn't have any swing and miss pitches did the Jays make a mistake picking him up I have no idea I think the the Feldman acquisition is a lot like the the trade of Joaquin Benoit for for Drew Storen in the sense that the Jays had a a not great pitcher occupying Feldman's role in Jesse Chavez. Chavez wasn't pitching well either. He's given up a lot of home runs. You know, by getting Feldman, there there was always you know Feldman is was never been a world beater. There's never you know nobody nobody thought they were getting a an elite reliever or a top line starter or anything like that. The I think the worst the worst thing that could have happened is basically Feldman was as bad as Chavez was. So I, I I understand, I think I understand the idea behind acquiring him because there's nowhere to go but up. The same way with Joaquin Benoit. You know, Storen was bad. He was going to continue to be bad. Benoit might be bad, but there's a, you know, there's a chance he could be better. And so, yeah, Feldman's 
you know, Feld, how Feldman is going to shake out is still up for debate. But uh, in terms of the what the Jays had as, as options to improve the team, it was a pretty low-risk way to maybe get some better production out of that swingman spot uh, that they weren't getting with, with Chavez. And uh, up until this, you know, up until the trade, Feldman was having an all right year. Uh, and there's, I don't, I don't see anything that suggests he might not be able to, you know, revert to the pitcher he was in Houston for the last couple of years. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't worry too much given it's only been a week. So interestingly, you mentioned Joaquin Benoit. He has worked out. He's he he is the uh, Jason Gurley 2.0, pretty much like the Jays were hoping for. He's he's given up in seven outings since he joined the Jays. I have three hits and five walks. Yeah, and no runs. Yeah, right. Yay! And- and the, and the same reason I wouldn't freak out too much about Feldman yet, I wouldn't say that Benoit is kind of over the hump and back to the kind of dominant reliever he was the previous three or four years. You know, um, it's just such a you know anything can happen in a in a week's worth of relief appearances, and and I think you know there's they might have found something, although five walks in seven appearances is still not that great and that's what Benoit was struggling with when he came to the team I think that 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 seems to be to me the only major difference between Benoit of previous years and Benoit of this year is his walk rate was I think almost double what it was the last couple of seasons so which is exactly what it was with Grilly Grilly was walking like five per nine or something before he got here it was just ridiculous right. is uh can we can we attribute this all to Russell Martin? You can you can frame away two or three walks <laughs> per nine innings, right? That's <laughs> just that's happened. Stick the glove and the walks evaporate. Um, yeah, I think we can get some of it from from Russell Martin. I think some of it might actually be Pete Walker, if <laughs> not not a miracle worker, but I I think uh, you know there's a certain mentality that he brings to the game. He he, he has generally had teams with lower walk rates. Uh, whether that's because of the players they bring in or not, I'm not sure. But evidence seems to be leaning that he might have the right things to say to a guy who's struggling with his mechanics and and can't keep the uh, the ball where he wants. Well, that would be that would be a boon for the Jays uh, if if the Jays kind of had uh, Ray Searage 2.0 on the the coaching staff. He's the walk whisperer. <laughs> yeah, watch yourself, Searage. Walker's coming for you. <laughs> we don't know how that works exactly. Uh, the sad news, Danny Barnes, after today's 9-2 to debacle, was designated for a sign, or optioned, I'm sorry, by the Blue Jays. So we get to play middle reliever sweepstakes. They're going to replace him with someone from Buffalo, presumably. Um, who's your money on? We, we talked about this before we came on the pod. We, there's not that many guys who are on the 40 man, first of all, but uh, no. we, we'd and all like to I see Bull Schultz. You mentioned too, Bullsinger got somehow got demoted twice in one day. So <laughs> that's I'm sure that's a clerical error on someone's part. <laughs> Sent to minors. Sent to minors again. The minor <laughs> minors. Um, they can't call Bo Schultz back up, no. even if they wanted to. Uh, it hasn't been ten days yet. 
So we are looking at probably Ryan Tapera. Is that what we decided? Yeah. 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 Unless um, unless they're concerned with uh, with Cecil and they want to go with another lefty, um, then yeah, I think it's going to be Tapera for at least three or four days. I don't um, suppose you I have think... Aaron Loop's statistics up in front of you. Ah, uh, one second here. Ah, I, I think though ultimately <laughs> this is this is the kind of bullpen we're going to be resigned to kind of following for the rest of the year there they don't have you know those enough great pitchers kind of to occupy the back end of the bullpen or sorry the middle mid-level of the bullpen so we're going to be we're going to be seeing a lot of up and down i think from now until when the rosters expand and so you know at triple a this year aaron loop is three oh sorry he is three and zero with a zero point six eight ERA, uh, with one save, and seventeen strikeouts. Wow! In thirteen in thirteen innings. Because he did not look like that guy when I saw him for whatever it was four or five outings off the disabled list in Toronto. He he looked it's, like a homer machine. Yeah, it's it's that old saying, Greg. Uh, the major leagues are harder than AAA. Um, you know, I Drew Hutchinson muttered that to himself all the time. I think, <laughs> but yeah. So my my money's still on Tapera, though. I think they seem to uh, like him. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll find out some obscure rule prohibiting that particular thing that we didn't know about next week, and we'll get letters and cards writ- written in. Yeah, um, I think the thing about about most bullpens is though that that there is no one watching middle reliever sweepstakes holding their breath for for anyone in particular. Uh, whether you are the Cardinals or the Yankees or whoever else, you, you you got those guys who are trying to cover when things don't go right for the starter, and they're not very good because if they were any good, some other team would have them in the eighth or ninth inning. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right about that. As as exciting as it is to to dream on Danny Barnes or you know whoever uh, whoever else kind of pops up. I remember after yeah. Oh, hey, that's one that's worked out at least a little bit, all right. Yep. Um, he's kind of he's kind of established himself as I don't know, what the fourth best reliever fifth. on the Jays, which is well, fifth. it depends on how you view Benoit. The, the it's it's Osuna, Grilly, Benoit. Uh, sorry, Osuna, Grilly, Cecil, because Cecil has been better despite his uh, unfortunate mistake the other night where he gave up a grand yep. slam. <clears throat> Um, and Cecil's your lefty, right? Your go-to lefty. So I think he's yeah. the, those are the top three. And then you've got Benoit to cover the seventh inning. And then, yeah, is Joe Biagini number four? Maybe. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Biagini ends up usurping Benoit before the end of the season. I'm not – I'm just not convinced Benoit is fixed just yet. Um, yeah, five, five and seven appearances is a lot. As long as you're not um, giving up the hits with them, you're fine. Uh, that's true. Okay. So we ha- we have a couple listener questions here. I will refresh one more time just to see if there's any exciting... No, we still have two questions. So question number one... Right. Uh, these are both very deep questions. Question number <laughs> one is from Minor Leaguer, at Minor underscore Leaguer, who uh, has been on Twitter forever, who you probably already follow if you're a Jays fan. Why can't the Blue Jays win every game it's a 
That's a very good question. It's one I ask myself as I'm throwing things around my living room, uh, maybe, you know, 70, 70 times a year, 80 or 90 in, in down years. But um, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think more importantly, I think it's a fair question um, because they should be able to win every game. They've got good hitters. They've got good pitchers. Why aren't they running train on the rest of baseball? And exactly. then I think about it for a minute and realize it's because there's also some good hitters and good pitchers on other teams. I, I think the, the, one of the more downer moments for me in baseball is watching a team lose its first game of the season, whenever that is, day one, first <laughs> week, whatever. And then thinking to myself, in the best of all possible worlds, I'm still going to watch that 60 more times in the next six months. Oh, yeah. You, you, can't get, you can't get too high and you can't get too low in baseball. It's just, it's just not going to work out for you if you do. And that was the interesting thing when the, the turnaround happened last year is, you know, you got a lot more kind of casual fans who, if they knew you liked baseball, would, would start bringing up baseball to you as the Jays were doing well. And then, you know, if they happen to lose a game and they asked you about it and you mentioned they lost, their hearts would break and they'd ask if you were okay or, <laughs> or they'd swear. And then you'd have to, you know, you'd have to just basically politely tell them, hey, this isn't my uh, first party with balloons there, friend. <laughs> They're going to lose a bit. Yeah. The balloons will pop from time to time and that's just how it goes. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's literally, with the schedule, it's two and a half months of losing for a championship team. Yeah. Just thankfully, it's, it's not all strung together. But I've, I've watched so many 500-ish teams come through Toronto in the past, uh, it's almost 10 years now. I, I, am, I am pleasantly surprised to see them at near or in a wild card position or at the top of the division or or whatever else i'm i'm, I'm very pleasant about that so games where they get blown out nine two uh i'm not happy but i've come to terms with that so the J, the blue jays can't win every game because i can accept the fact that they don't and and my acceptance is allowing them to lose so oh, i'm sorry and and i i do think there is something too just i know you're mentioning a lot of having to watch a lot of 500 teams the nice thing about having the team that the Blue Jays have now is even when they are losing, they're not, they're not out of games. Well, they were out of tonight, but they're not out of games in the same way that, that a bad team is out of games. And, and that makes losing even tolerable in the sense that there's a lot of close games or games that you can watch all the way through being unsure if they're going to lose or not. Um, because to go back to those those earlier incarnations of the days for most of the last 20 years there there was a lot of nights when you know Josh Towers was pitching not not to pick on him but where you knew they were going to lose and that that can be that can be deflating even if even though in a way that following a good team is not i think yeah yeah, I think the trade-off there is there's no stress to watching the crappy team, and a lot of people reflect on that as well as, as being the big deal. Is is it knowing they should be able to win every game and can be in right. a position to win every game is more stressful. I'm like, yeah, that's fair too. Would you like to go on to the even deeper yeah. question? Sure. Have you been watching the Olympics first of all? 
Uh, I watched a little bit of swimming on Sunday night, but I haven't had so a chance to I watch. Think that might swimming. be the the important one. Are, are you aware of the cupping phenomena? Yes. Yes. Okay. Can you explain to me? All I know is it involves suction cups. And believe it or not, our question does have something to do with this. Okay. <laughs> Michael Phelps had marks on his shoulders. Yes. Was that? Yeah. Or, yeah. From from cupping. Right. Which is supposed to make you what? Um, now, I assume it did. I don't know if I had a chance to see it, but basically they look like circular over kind of his shoulder and pectoral. He had all these circular red marks that looked like. Uh, either like birthmarks or something like that. I'm not exactly sure what cupping is. It's supposed to be some type of athletic recovery method or something. Is it pain? It might have to do with pain management. I assume Troy Tulowitzki has tried cupping at some point <laughs> over the course of his career. Um, you know, he's a guy who will go to the ends of the earth to make himself better. So, you know, if he's if he's sleeping in hyper, you know, if he's sleeping in like crazy oxygen chambers that Novak Djokovic recommends I'm sure he's tried cupping too but okay. I, so, I don't know the, I don't know the science but behind exactly how it helps you recover or or deal with pain or anything like that but I know that's what it's generally about so here's the question from oh that wasn't even the question no the question is from Matthew Puro at Max the Silent should the Jays consider cupping therapy in an attempt to start their offense? And then it, it says below, Donaldson grabbing his crotch dot gif. So I don't think that's the cupping that, like, this is a family show. So we're only going to talk about suction cups. I'm not going to swear this time. I, I apologize for last time. <laughs> I apologize for improperly uh, handling my bleeps because <laughs> I really should have been able to do that. Um, I I don't I don't, I think the Jays have napped together. I think that was probably as extreme as I'm willing to go with the unusual therapies. Nap therapy is is probably the best idea to start the offense. Yeah, they. I, I'd say I don't know how many. Not to rag on baseball players, but I don't know how many of them have Michael Phelps's build either. So it might not necessarily <laughs> work work the same for you know, Joaquin Benoit or, well, or, you know, Joe Biagini or something like that. Are you, are you imagining a situation where the cups get stuck somehow, that they're unable to remove them? <laughs> yeah. It's very possible. It's very possible. That's a horrible picture. It really is. Uh, okay. We're going to move on because those were our only two interesting... Qu well, those were our only two questions this week. So if, if you didn't like them next week, I encourage you to uh, tweet back at TurfPod or at Baseball Pro. And, and we'll be happy to answer your question. We had a couple, well, three, as you pointed out to me, retirements pretty much this week. We had Mark Teixeira announcing he would be done at the end of the season. We had Alex Rodriguez announcing he'd be done at the end of the week. And then we had Cecil Fielder announcing he's already done because of injury, we think. That's tomorrow. Prince. Yeah, yeah, Prince. Cecil, did I do it? See, I called him Nelson oh, Liriano oh. last week, and I called him Cecil Fielder this week because I am not an old man. Just wanted to make that absolutely clear. Oh. Uh, so I, I actually, 
I was going to ask you about the most significant Mark Teixeira versus the Blue Jays moment, and then I realized I couldn't actually recall anything Mark Teixeira had done in his entire career with any significance at all. He- yeah, he's he's been quietly very good for a long time, and over the last few years, he's been quietly not as good as he was at his peak. But, you know, all in all, Teixeira was a really good player for a really long time. Um, I think part of part of that not having any signature moment against the Jays is the fact that when Teixeira was doing most of his damage in the American League, the Jays just weren't that great a team. Um, and so, like you said, we were more earlier, we were kind of more resigned to not winning than I'd say we were now or, or last year. But um, yeah, don't take anything away from Teixeira. He was a, he was a really good player, switch hitter. Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it'll be uh, sad to see him go. Uh, yeah, it's not a knock on his talent as a player. I, I didn't mean that at all. I just mean I, I literally, like I see his face and I go, that's Mark Teixeira. <laughs> and I literally yeah. cannot remember it. I, I know he, he's hit, he's got some kind of switch hitting home run record and I'm sure he's hit two home runs in the same game from both sides of the plate a bunch of times and all this other stuff. And, and he's... Uh, he was known for his glove work and everything, but to, to like picture him, like when you say Derek Jeter to me, right? You could see him flipping a baseball or sliding somewhere. <laughs> There's a moment in his career where you go, yeah, that was the Derek Jeter thing. <laughs> there, I, I really don't know any Mark Teixeira things, which probably my fault. No, I mean, he was part of that 09 World Series team. That, I guess, to me is the, the one that sticks out the most, I guess. Well, that was A-Rod's yeah. coming out party in the playoffs right that was his big impact yeah. right which is right the other strange story was alex rodriguez was not getting any playing time in new york and to have a dh on the bench might be the most useless thing in all of baseball so they came to an agreement of some kind that he would he would finish his week and that would be the end of it and he would become a special advisor with the organization so Give me your signature Alex Rodriguez and the Blue Jays moment, if you have one. Well, I guess in terms of with the Blue Jays, it's going to be the the pop-up, which he ran interference on um, back in the... Was that the late 90s? Or, no, that was the early 2000s. Early sorry. 2000s, um, yep. Yeah. Uh, Howie I, Clark? You know, I, yeah, Howie Clark. I'd say that was the, the signature A-Rod moment in relation to the Jays. Um, but that said, like you mentioned with Jeter, I don't think there's any shortage of Alex Rodriguez moments in general, um, in terms of his impact on baseball or, you know, he, the other, obviously interference one that comes to mind is him trying to knock the ball away, uh, in the ALCS against the Red Sox. Arroyo's glove? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think A-Rod has a, a long and, and checkered history of, great moments and you know unfortunately it seems like he's going to be remembered more for the things he screwed up than the things he did well and you know i heard somebody point this out the other day and i think it's very true is we know what a-rod did wrong and we you know but there could be just as many people that we don't know about who are doing the exact same things and some of them could have immaculate reputations amongst people who follow baseball and we just don't know that they were doing the same things as 
Alex Rodriguez was. So I, I'm in the camp of people that isn't particularly offended or bothered by um, by Alex Rodriguez's transgressions um, in baseball. What about you? Do do you have a signature moment that's not, in, not that Alex? doesn't involve yeah. him trying to, I don't know, impede he, a defender from making a routine play? Uh, yeah, his 600th home run, actually. I, I really... He, he hit his 600th home run off of Sean Markham at Yankee Stadium. And I was so mad that a Blue Jay gave up his 600th home run. It, it always seemed like... Uh, there was a couple years there where it seemed like every big homer that came up, uh, it was a Blue Jay somehow was related to it or an ex-Blue Jay or whatever. So I was just sad <laughs> and kind of <laughs> mad. It's like, couldn't you just pitch better? Could you not give that up? Because now we get to watch him dance around the bases and get the ball and everything else, and Sean Markham has to stand out there on the mound and, and take it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's my my A Rod moment versus the Blue Jays. Um, yeah, I, actually, we, we, you say there are some players where we don't know what they did. There are a couple of players who I will not smear on this podcast who showed up in the Mitchell report um, <clears throat> that shouldn't have ever been released or public, but uh, they're beloved. Okay. Right. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I think it, it has a lot more to do with uh, A-Rod's unusual personality. We'll leave it at that. That that he's he's just not a very people person. And that that's led him to have all, a, a lot more difficulties than he would if he if he were really a, a charismatic fella. Because you can you can get through a lot in baseball by smiling at the right times and shaking hands with the right people. Yeah. And lastly, Prince Fielder, you wanted to give a shout out to Prince, who apparently his neck injuries are going to make it darn near impossible for him to make a comeback. That was just a brief tweet from Ken Rosenthal tonight. I, I haven't read all the details yet. Um, take it away. Right. Yeah. Well, I wanted to give Prince Fielder a gold star because, you know, over the course of his career, despite being a, a very, very effective left handed power hitter for a lot of years, Fielder was the the brunt of a lot of jokes and comments and highlights that, you know, admittedly I enjoyed. And I thought, you know, I thought it was hilarious when he went into the stands and uh, ate that fan's nachos and all that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, Prince Fielder, Prince Fielder succeeded in baseball despite, you know, not looking like an average baseball player. And I just want to... I think it's important to remember and, and point out that, you know, an average person could spend their whole life working out, getting super fit and training to play professional baseball, you know, live in the cage and they wouldn't be able to play baseball as well as Prince Fielder. They probably wouldn't even be able to run as fast as Prince Fielder. And I think it's just worth noting now that he's uh, probably on his way out of baseball that he was a really great player. For a really long time, despite not having the a lot of the physical tools that you know most major league baseball players have, and you know, good on him for for everything he's accomplished in in baseball. And I I think that's a good gold star to give. I, I think he really gave his honest effort, and and to go through the herniated discs in his back and really try and come back and everything else to you know he he you could tell he really still wanted to play baseball. I respect oh, that. Absolutely. 
I totally respect that. Uh, so we are uh, getting towards the end of the podcast. At this point, I usually ask Josh if he has a final thought. But Josh isn't here right now. So, Nick, <laughs> do you have... I used to ask Chris, and Chris would like 50% of the time tops have a final thought. Do you have one? Um, yeah, well, I guess uh, the one final thought I would give, and not to try to open the Pandora's box that is the Sanchez debate again, but the one... If I could focus on one small part of the Sanchez debate that I personally find a little confusing or perplexing is this once in a while we talk about how the Jays have more knowledge about Aaron Sanchez's medicals and his health and that they know they're doing this because they know more than we do. And I just find it as an odd kind of position to take given that we could basically use that kind of reasoning to justify any position the Jays take. You know, the Jays are batting Kevin Pillar leadoff. That seems odd. He doesn't get on base very much. But the Jays know more about Kevin Pillar than we do, um, as as the very obvious blatant counterexample. So my final thought would just be: in, in all of the Sanchez stuff, I'm not. I'm. I'm I don't want us to fall too much back on just kind of appealing to the Jays authority in in that area because it seems to me like from everything they've said both to the media and and how they've seemed to deal with uh, talking to the other players about it they don't seem to have a very strict or rigid plan that they've kind of been employing since the season began um, which which again just leads me to think I'm not sure that they if they do have more information it's not definitive in the way that I think some people would suggest they do have stronger information about them or about Sanchez and why we're doing what we're why they're doing what they're doing with him. Interesting. So I have a totally different vein to take is that I read this week that the Blue Jays are on track to lead the American League in attendance, which will break the Yankees. I think it's seven year run of doing so. So, A, suck it, Yankees. Uh, B, hey, folks, keep buying tickets. This team needs you because they took on a whole bunch of extra salary, and gosh knows we all want to see them in the playoffs every year. Also, that's really cool because I think Toronto is a baseball town. All you got to do is give them a team worth watching. And on that note, we're going to bring it home, which means that you have been Nick Dyka on the Twitter at Nick Dyka. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and I am uh, have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 24. And we'll talk to you again next week.